welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our gathering. Pastor Mason here, excited for us to be able to connect today and weekly, by God's grace, we've been able during this pandemic to do so. Want us to keep, uh, probably the results are in by now as it pertains to the presidency. We want to pray for whoever that president is. Uh, at this time, it's still kind of close um, during our time of recording, but I wanted us in our prayer time after we read the text to pray for the country, pray for leadership, pray for um, just guidance in our country about First off, how Christians act, how we treat each other um, for unity in the body, despite the disunity. I think that when someone's on a different side of the fence than you, um, you can we all can tend to demonize them in an unredemptive and unrestorative way and unreconciling way. And so my prayer is, is that we would walk in the unity that God has already given us. What is that? Um, Jesus Christ already died on the cross for us to be unified. So positionally, based on Ephesians 4, we are unified. However, practically, we're not. And so my concern is for that, that our hearts and that our minds and that our focus would be genuinely placed on Jesus Christ and uh, focused on what it would look like for us to practically be unified as the body of Christ across ethnic, economic uh, and geographical lines. Uh, so let's let we'll we'll pray for that once we get to the prayer time uh, before the message. Turn with me to second. I mean, first Timothy chapter uh, uh, four verses uh, uh, six through ten. First Timothy chapter four verses six through ten. We're still in our series on order in the church. It reads like this. It says, "If you point out these things." To the brothers and sisters, you will be good, a good servant of Christ Jesus. Says, if you point out these things to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus and nourished by the words of faith and the good teaching that you have been followed, have been followed. But have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness for the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. For this reason, we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe today in our time together. Uh, as we talk through and work through order in the church, I want to talk today about how to remain healthy in a dysfunctional environment, how to remain healthy in a dysfunctional environment. Let's pray and we'll pray for our country and the church's unity and leadership. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your grace that is sufficient, Lord God, and that is able to give clarity, is able to raise up 
from brokenness, able to transform from lostness, able to uh, change sin-sick souls, able to regulate minds, able to bring health. God, I pray for our country. I pray for this country uh, today. I pray for America. I pray for the leadership, transition of leadership, the peaceful transition of power. Uh, in leadership, Lord God, and I also pray, Lord God, for the church to be unified and not find our hope in idolizing the, po the politics in our country as what makes us Christian, but what makes us Christian is Christ and Christ alone. Uh, and so, Lord God, help us to be careful of being, uh, being divisive and even demonizing one another over uh, our political affiliation decisions. Um, Lord, I help our greatest affiliation to be with Jesus Christ and let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust in Jesus mighty name. We pray. Amen. And amen. How to remain healthy in a dysfunctional environment. I know nobody under the sound of my voice has ever been in a, a dysfunctional environment. I just know everywhere you've been has been functional and healthy and without any rips or tears. Um, but it's interesting enough that uh, the, th this idea and I, and I thought of what, what, what it means to be uh, dysfunctional is things not functioning based on God's order, but based on systemic disorder and people building their lives around trying to create a new reality based on uh, the current circumstances of the dysfunction that hasn't changed. You all heard me say it before. I used to watch the show Hoarders. And when I used to watch the show Hoarders, and it would be interesting to me that you would go into uh, someone's house and you would see cats everywhere and stuff all over the place. And what would be what would be indubitably crazy to me is the fact that the person, their house would smell like uh, all kinds of fecal matter. But people that were coming into the house would be clear on the dysfunction, but the people or the person that's living in that house and living amongst that dysfunction is absolutely unadulteratedly unclear about the dysfunction even existing because they've gotten used to that dysfunction. See, that's what happens in many of our lives. When you're around dysfunction too long, you become functional within the dysfunction. And what becomes, what, what's abnormal for most people becomes normal for you. What used to stink no longer stinks. What used to be messy <clears throat> is no longer messy. What used to be frustrating is no longer frustrating because there was a stronghold of a lack of change in your life and in that environment. You, you deem it impossible to change and therefore you adjust to the dysfunction. So many places in our lives, we adjust to dysfunction rather pushing up against and speaking out on the dysfunction and being a change agent. One of the things that's, that, that, that I think a lot of people do, which, which you know, even on social media, it's a lot of people, they, they, they find it, I find it odd that everybody can point out dysfunction. Everybody can talk about where things are. But the key is not your ability to call things out. The key is also your ability to be an agent of functionality. There are some dysfunction environments that you should just automatically leave. But, I, but, 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 but my problem with people is we tend to always think leaving is the only option, option when dysfunctionality exists. One of the things that we have to begin to do, one of the things that we have to begin to do as we 
engage and as we challenge and as we as we work in and whether it's our work environment, whether it's our church environment, whether it's our ministry environment, whether it's our home environment, whether it's our relational environment, we should be working on a level. I'm not saying stay in a toxic relationship where you're getting beaten or someone's committing adultery. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a non-deal breaker dysfunction and toxicity. And toxicity that can be actually changed and actually engaged and actually challenged and actually you can be a help in it and in this text um in timothy in timothy's uh book if you will paul writing to timothy one of the things that we see is a high level of dysfunction in the ephesian church you have to understand if ephesus is one of the most theologically sound churches in the new testament have in the it ended up end up becoming that becoming that because we'll see that it ends up becoming that uh, by the time Revelation is written, right? But 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 in its beginnings, in its in its first years, if you will, there was a lot of dysfunction. There was a lot of power for fighting, fighting for power. There was a lot of uh, a dysfunctional leadership structures. There was a lot of bad doctrine. So Paul says he leaves Timothy in Ephesus to deal with the dysfunction. And dealing with this dysfunction, it, we saw last week that one of the major dysfunctions in this book was false doctrine. Um, and that false doctrine undealt with and allowing people to just go about saying what they want to say and do what they want to do impacted the framework of the church in deep ways in Timothy had to deal with that. One of the things, um, though, um, that, that, that's very, very trying is being the person that has to deal with the dysfunction. When you're the person that has to deal with the dysfunction, what ends up happening is, is you're trying to work on the dysfunction while also trying not to be affected by the dysfunction. And you're not only... Uh, Try not to be affected by the dysfunction. You're trying to remain healthy and you're trying to engage the dysfunction, but you're also dealing with a lot of discouragement because dysfunction always bites back. It always bites back and it, it, it mercilessly bites back at you while you're trying to help it. I, I remember um, they were trying to uh, save uh, uh, this, this dog out of this, out of this hole and, and the dog was in the hole for a while and as they were trying to rescue the dog, they had a whole rescue team for the dog and the dog was biting at everybody, biting at everybody, but the dog did not know that the people that were trying, that were grabbing on him and putting stuff around him was trying to help him and save him, but he thought that he was in danger because where he was in his dysfunction made him not trust anybody. So instead of uh, recognizing help as help, he bit. That's what happens many times when you try to help dysfunctional people. Many times when you try to help dysfunctional people, when you try to help dysfunctional environments, when you try to help, help in dysfunctional relationships, people will bite you back. And so Paul is writing Timothy because this is not his first rodeo. <laughs> this is not Paul's first rodeo Dealing with dysfunctional churches. I mean, years ago, early in his ministry, he dealt with the most dysfunctional church that was written in the writ of the Bible until Revelation, and that's the Corinthian church. If that ain't dysfunction, they had dysfunction. I mean, false doctrine was the least of their problems. 
And so what's interesting is Paul is working through every, he's working through this chapter. He's giving them a pause because, you know, he just dealt with false doctrine. He just dealt with dealing with leadership. Before that, he dealt with church discipline in chapter one and, 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 and dealing with bad views of the law. And then after this, he's going to further work on some other things in relation to rebuking some older people in chapter five. So this is tough. This is a tough situation that Timothy and many times in leadership, people don't recognize the weight and the heftiness of leading and trying to promote functionality in health in the midst of dysfunction. The question I want to ask you today, and I want you to assess today, are you a mechanism for functionality or dysfunctionality? I, I want you to begin to think about whether or not Am I where I am an agent of helping things where I am get better? Am I a toxic person? And am I the actual person that needs to be put back in line with functionality because I'm blind to how dysfunctional I am? Maybe you're the person that's in the environment that's, that you're, you, you're functional, but you're trying to remain sane, trying to remain competency. Well, um, it's crazy. Um, Paul is here loving on Timothy by giving him some coaching on how to be healthy and how to promote health and how to break dysfunctional cycles in the church. Number one, I got a few points this time. First point, first point. You must be honest with where things are broken and so truth. Let me say that again. <laughs> you must be honest with where things are broken. That's in a dysfunctional environment. And you have to sow truth. You have to sow truth. It says here in verse six, it says, point out these things that if you point out these things to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Nourished by the words of faith and the good teaching that you have followed. He says, point out these things. One of the things that he's heftily helping the believers to do, he's telling him, when you point out dysfunctionality and when you put, put in health and you challenge toxicity, this is beautiful. When you point things out, you'll be a good servant. You'll be a good servant of Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that good servants do of Jesus Christ, good servants of Jesus Christ are willing to confront where their challenges are. It is cowardly to want to just be political and functional and work around the system all the time instead of engaging and lovingly challenging those places within the system that is dysfunctional. And what Paul begins to do, what Timothy begins to be informed of by Paul is you have to point these things out. Point what out? He tells them to point out the messiness in the men and women in the church. That's what he told them to do in chapter two. He told him to point out the fact that leaders, this is what leaders are supposed to be like. This is what leaders are supposed to be like. And then he says, I want you to now point out here what false doctrine is and that what, what deceitful things are. Listen, when you, when, you, when you have to deal with hard stuff, you, it doesn't always feel good when you have to deal with it. Because usually when you're coming up against people's dysfunction, when you're coming up against people's dysfunction, 
It's funny, it's very difficult, but you usually get a ton of pushback. So you got to walk in a lot of lot of encouragement. And so Paul is letting them know you're actually a good servant because sometimes when you're pointing out where people are wrong, you don't feel like a good servant. <laughs> you, you feel beat up. You feel challenged when you're, when you're trying to work through dysfunction and the whole culture is so dysfunctional that everybody comes after you versus seeing the dysfunction. You'll wonder whether you're crazy or not. <laughs> you're like am I crazy and so you need like somebody to tell you hey talk to the light or the wood or something you're like am I, am I the only one that sees that this is crazy or maybe I need to join the dysfunction <laughs> so Paul gives him an encouragement he says you're a good servant man if you do this you're a bad servant if you don't point out what people need to, to grow in their functionality and that's what believers have to do believers have to be committed to going into difficult situations or being in a different situation. Because many in this generation, you tend to think you got to leave everything to find a functional atmosphere. Everywhere has its level of dysfunction. If you have a disposition where you're constantly running from place to place to find the functional place, you're going to be running to Jesus comes back. So you have to settle someplace and be a good servant of Christ. A good servant of Christ deals with dysfunction. Now, is there a time when you need to abandon the place of dysfunction? Yes. But what's funny in the situation of the Ephesians, you couldn't just say, I'm leaving, I'm leaving Ephesian church. There ain't no other church in Ephesus. I couldn't. So, so there was stuff in their day you couldn't just leave. If you left it, you were becoming a hermit because there, was, there, weren't, there weren't a Starbucks on every corner down there. You know what I'm saying? You couldn't leave this place and go to that place. And so, and so many times their maturity was challenged because they had to deal with, listen, they had to actually deal with stuff without being able to run from it. They couldn't run from their family and get a job in another city. It's very difficult. They couldn't run from their relationships. They couldn't say, I just not going because hey, you ain't just getting a husband or wife. It was tough out there in them streets. You understand what I'm saying? Like, you couldn't just run from everything. You had to face stuff. Some of y'all got to learn how to face some stuff. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy to do. As he tells him to face it, he wants to encourage him as he faces it. Now, one of the things that he begins to do in helping him remain faithful is he helps him to sow truth. Because one of the things that's very, very difficult when you're dealing with dysfunctional people is you hear a lot of lies. Remember last week we talked about slander. We talked about gossip. All of those things, when they overwhelm you, can corrode you even if you know it's not true. And you'll, even though you won't believe it, it can affect you. So Paul, this is so good. This is such good shepherding to me. What Paul does is he says, he said, what makes you a good servant is if, for both you and the brothers and sisters. <coughs> he said, because you'll be nourished by the words of faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Ain't that something? It's two inferential things here. Nourished nourish by the word of faith is, of course, the word of faith is the gospel, not you speaking something to exist. I know somebody said, ooh, the word of faith, I command that, and you think that's the word of faith, right? That's not what this is talking about. The word of faith, the word of the faith, rather, we'll talk about that even more as we build that out. And we talked a little bit about it week before last when we talked about concrete doctrine, right? But, good, but the good teaching, which is interesting, we talk about good teaching uh, uh, is, is all of the functional teachings that he had been discipled in. Now, the word nourished is an interesting word. 
It means to be trained in or to be convinced of something and being reared on that particular thing, being bred in it. In other words, the words of the faith have are in the DNA of Timothy. The key to remaining healthy is having the right spiritual nutrition in your life and constantly feeding yourself the proper nutritional things so that you won't have nutrition deficiencies in your life because of their nutritional deficiencies in your life, you will become dysfunctional. <laughs> um, let me see if I can make it plain because y'all looking at me funny. I can tell. You know, I was looking up vitamin deficiencies and they say when you're vitamin deficient of certain vitamins, you can have, uh, uh, you, can, you can be irritable, you'll be dizzy, you'll have cramps, you have muscle weakness. Listen to this one. Fatigue, depression, tremors, <clears throat> calcification of the tissues. In other words, in your physical body, when there are vitamin deficiencies, it affects your functionality. Look at this dizziness. Can you, what does spiritual dizziness look like? <laughs> what does spiritual cramps look like? What does depression look like? What does spiritual fatigue look like? See, when, you, when you're not being nourished on truth, we're not being nourished on the word, you fatigue very, very quickly. You, you, you fatigue very, very quickly when hell breaks loose, and particularly when you're not being nourished on the word, Toxic environments can have a quick effect on you because you don't have the proficiency of spiritual vitamins in you to help you to endure the toxicity that's in those environments. And so Paul tells Timothy, he says, listen, you got to you got to be nourished on the words of truth. You know, you know, you know, one, one thing vitamins do. I like this. Vitamins build up your immunity. What they do, listen to what vitamin A, C, and E does. They are antioxidants that build and enhance your immune system, and these vitamins strengthen your immune system. They reduce the risk of illness. Man, if this ain't preaching itself. The fact that you're having this nourishment and these vitamins in you, it resists. I remember, my, you know, you know some, some of y'all don't know about, about, about no cod liver oil and all of that and tang and vitamin C, things you throw in your mouth you know my mama say oh it's getting cold outside what my mom would do my mom would never wait till you got sick before she started giving you medicine it was the weirdest thing in my life my, my mama would say all right you gotta take these vitamins he got see we used to have them flintstone vitamins them things is full of sugar you crunch them all up and but these vi they vitamins she she made sure we took those vitamins you know what i'm saying she made sure that we took cod liver oil and castor oil the nastiest stuff on the planet but, and then she would make garlic tea. It was the nastiest stuff on the planet. And she'd make you eat the grind up garlic and drink it with the tea at the bottom. And she said, all of that, if you got cold, it'll break up. In other words, she didn't wait until illness came to put in our body what was needed to fight it. See, that's what you have to do in your life. Your immunity can't be built when you already have a disease. See, dysfunctionality, Paul is telling Timothy, he said, listen, I discipled you in truth. And because I discipled you already in truth, 
I already have functionally built into you and you've ingested it an immunity to how to deal with toxic environments and not only just deal with the environment, but bring health to it. That's your role, Christian. Your role as a believer is to bring health everywhere you go. The question you have to ask yourself is what follows you wherever you are? Does health follow you into your relationships? Does health follow you into your friendships? Does health follow you into your love? Does health follow you into how you serve people? Does health follow you into church? Does health, small, health follow you into small groups? Or does hell follow you? That's what you got to ask yourself. You know, it, it, it's very important for us to look at this idea. And the word of faith of the faith is really the content of the gospel. Content of the gospel. That's why I talk all the time about the fact that in Romans is the most robust gospel book in the New Testament because it mentions the word gospel and breaks it down more than any other book in the Bible. And the reason is Paul gives the multifaceted dimensions of the gospel, how the gospel works. He begins the gospel. He says, I long to preach the gospel to you. He ends the book with, he, that's in ch chapter uh, uh, one, Verse 15, then at the end of the book in Romans 16, 25, he says, may, I, may you be established according to the preaching of my gospel. He's talking not to non-Christians. He's talking to Christians. He's not talking, merely hoping that there's some people that are professing believers that aren't. No, he's talking specifically to believers about the role of the gospel in their life. One of the biggest roles of the gospel in your life is to help you to make gospel decisions in every area of life. So when we, look, when we look at the idea, what, when you say gospel decisions, Pastor, what in the world do you mean? <coughs> well, this is it. The gospel helps you how to dream right. <laughs> Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all this righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That's gospel. That's how the gospel affects dreaming. <laughs> how does gospel affect our sexuality? If you're struggling with porn or you're struggling with any type of sexual deviance, right? How does the gospel affect that? Well, the gospel is that you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. In other words, the motivation for sexual purity isn't so I won't hurt someone's feelings or break someone's heart, but the motivation is God bought me with a price. I don't own my body. Therefore, I can't use my body how I want to. See now how the gospel now motivates that, draws us in, right? Look at how the gospel influences finances. In 1 Timothy 6 later, he's going to say, teach those who are rich according to this world to not put their trust in the uncertainty of riches. But knowing in it that God has created all things to be enjoyed, how did he create them to be enjoyed? In Christ, who created all things. And in Christ, death and resurrection through uh, redemption from the fall, he recreates our ability as believers to enjoy it on God's terms. I can go on and on and on with wor the words of the faith application to how you're nourished in every area of your life off of truth, right? And so when you look at, he talks about nourishing. I got to blow my nose real quick. He said nourished by the good teaching. So when you're nourished by the good teaching, I walk through this. The good teaching is a sum summation of the basics of the Christian faith. What do you believe about Jesus Christ? Um, Future time, end time stuff. We talked about a Christology. You see that. They may have it up on the screen. Ecclesiology, you see that. 
You know, the study of the work of Jesus, Christology, the function of the church, ecclesiology, theology proper, the study of the nature of God, Trinitarianism, the study and function of the persons in the Godhead, soteriology, uh, the study of redemption, so forth and so on. Those things are important. Those things nourish you spiritually. We'll talk about other things that do that. And he says, Timothy, you followed this stuff. And so one of the things that's beautiful about Timothy in Paul's relationship is that Timothy was discipled in community. And, and Timothy submitted to the discipleship process from a very, very early age. His grandmother and his mother, you see in 2 Timothy, discipled him initially. The elders in Iconium, Lister, and Derby discipled him. Paul took him aside, put him up to Silas and Epaphroditus and the different people on the team. And, and all of them invested in Timothy in some particular way as a young guy. Now Timothy is a little bit older now. And now Timothy, by the grace of God, is now being left in a church. And now he's well discipled. And so one of the things that's so beautiful about this, and this is for free, before he was forced to lead and have to deal with other people's dysfunction, he was discipled in health. Many of you want to deal with everybody else's dysfunction, but you ain't even been discipled yet. You can't, listen, you can't be this, you only add to dysfunction. Dysfunction is like a leech. It grabs the other dysfunction. So what's beautiful about Timothy is Timothy was functionally and healthily discipled while there was a lot of dysfunction going on. If you look at Corinthians, Timothy helped Paul with Corinth. With the book, of, with writing it, he's, it's a, he's a co-laborer in that letter when you look at the beginning of the book. So he was around and he watched Paul deal with a lot of dysfunction in that church. So that now he didn't have to take the lead. He submitted to Paul, watched how he dealt with that dysfunction, watched how he challenged those folks, watched how people changed, and now he's being left as a well-discipled young man, now being able to minister and lead. Who are you willing to submit to to become functional and healthy so that when you're ready, you can actually do it because you're not just trying to be super Christian. You've been discipled and developed in the things of the truth. I go to the next thing. Some of y'all, this ain't hitting you probably right. But one day it's going to hit you because you're going to recognize, man, how do I get healthy to help other environments to get healthy? Second point, you must distance yourself from foolishness and pursue Jesus-centered health. You got to distance yourself from foolishness, family. Look at verse 7. It said, he tells Timothy, he said, let me tell you something, Timothy. He says, have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. He says, rather train yourself for godliness. Of course, he, he's just telling them a voice. Stay clear of that stuff. Pointless, it means profane or characterized by violating sacred character of people, right? Pointless also means worldly. <laughs> it's or low shelf matters. <laughs> low shelf stuff, stuff that's not worth your time. You're above it. You're more than that, right? Or, or, or stuff that ain't above your time. And, and, and that's, that's what he said. And silly myths, you know. In their day, there were a lot of legendary myths in Ephesus. And so Paul is like, listen, I want y'all to rise above these myths and this negative stuff. And what I want you to do is I want you to begin to not spend your time on stuff that's mythological. There's so many things in our society that's mythological. Like this prophet 
This fake prophet dude, he's always been a fake prophet. I remember a person who used to go to Epiphany Fellowship, he'd say, man, Pastor E, you need, you need to check this prophet out, man. He's the most accurate prophet. And he's prophesying. I was just like, it's not special. It's all his prophecies are individual. It's not kingdom. Um, and so end up earlier this year, um, he prophesied that Trump was going to win. A week ago, he talking about he had a dream that Biden was winning. I'm like, so which is it, bro? So know what I'm going to do with him? Avoid him. That's what you need to do. When you see people doing that kind of stuff, you avoid it. Because some of y'all are in the prophecy. Some of y'all, I don't really understand how y'all listen to me and listen to some of the stuff y'all listen to. I don't even understand it. Like, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the Holy Ghost filled, it's just the next person. But I, like, I don't understand how you can, now I, I, I know, I ain't, I ain't bragging. I know the stuff I teach is healthy. I, but some of y'all, I see y'all be on, I'll be like, yeah, how you don't recognize that that's dysfunctional and unhealthy anyway? That's another whole thing, right? It's funny, like you got even like the nation of Islam, some of we from the tribe of Shabazz, you know. Then you got, you know, Dane Calloway saying we, we, there were no ships that came to America that um, and we always been here. Right. And, 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 and all of the history books been lying. And we, we're, we're the original Native Americans. You got Hebrew Israelites saying we went from Israel to Africa and from Africa to the United States, even though the, the, we supposed to be, you know, Israel is supposed to be scattered to the four winds. All of these myths don't help get anything done. What do they actually help get done? What do they have to actually have, have to change our circumstances and our spiritual development? Paul says, I want you to avoid all of these little speculatory things that's out there. So I don't want you to be careful of, uh, you know, you know, I, I want you all to be careful of, because those type of things, when you start getting into nourishing yourself off of foolishness, you, you are what you eat. That's why the Bible says, whatever's pure, whatever's honorable, whatever's good of repute, let your mind dwell on these things and the God of peace will be with you. In other words, you're supposed to be feeding yourself truth. You're supposed to be feeding yourself righteousness. If you sow to the flesh, if you sow foolishness, if you sow silliness, if you sow voidness, don't be surprised when it comes out. Listen, um, I haven't talked a lot about it, but of course, <clears throat> I've been eating differently for a while. And, and, and immediately, like when I used to wake up, my jo- I had some old injuries, the joints would be, would be in pain, and, I, and, and I, I would just keep eating what I was eating because I liked what I was eating. But then when I started changing my eating, in a few days, immediately, the joint pain went away. Because what I started eating wasn't stuff that encouraged the inflammation, and, and actually a trainer was explaining, a trainer that goes to Epiphany was explaining to me why my eating habits have changed my ability to think clearer, my ability to have more stamina, my ability to not have as much joint pain. The reason why is because I'm feeding myself stuff that doesn't feed into bodily dysfunction. What are you feeding yourself that's feeding you dysfunction all the time? And you keep eating the same people. You keep being around the same people, walking around the same people, being around the same places, watching the same stuff, feeding yourself all of those different things. And you get and you're wondering, Pastor, help me. Why am I not? I said, what are you eating, baby? What are you eating, bro? What you what are you spiritually nourishing? When the last time you've been in the word? Well, when the last time you've been in prayer? When the last time you've been around solid believers? Well, and, and listen, when you when that's not a part of your framework, I'm just telling you, what I'm, this sermon is really simple, but it's basics. It's basic dribbling. It's basic squaring up of the shoulders to shoot the jump shot. 
These are the basics that when you master them, you grow in health. It's just, and you got you to hear it and do it over and over and over and over again. That's why I like Larry Bird so much as a basketball player, because he mastered the fundamentals and was not the most athletic person on the planet. But he knew the game. That's why I like him. Every, people could duck on him. I mean, Michael, Michael, I remember the one Michael did like this on him and went around him and went, yeah, hell. But Larry Bird won that game because Larry Bird had more experience than he mastered the fundamentals. And you have to master, if you're going to win in life, you have, to be, you have to develop a mastery of the fundamentals. And we'll talk about that in a second. I'll be out your way. He says, train. Ah! Train yourself a godliness. The word for train here is the Greek word that we get our word gymnasium from. Gymnasio. It means develop personal behavior by instruction and practice. Now, this word was an interesting, interesting, interesting word because it was the word that was used um, to talk about the workouts and training regiment of Olympic athletes. Now, listen to what this lexicon says. This says literally to train for physical exercise, but used figuratively of spiritual and mental exercise and thereby mean to train and undergo discipline. Listen, I was um, I'm, I'm, I love one of my favorite things to watch is the training regiment of athletes. I can't do none of it. I may try. But I love watching their elements. I remember I was watching Roy Jones, Roy Jones. I'm a big Roy Jones fan. To me, y'all can hate on him all you want. That dude is a monster at the sweet science. Man, I'm watching him training and he's jogging and he gets up at three in the morning. Goes jogging for an hour. He goes like a 10 mile jump. And he's and his kids are on bikes and they running out of gas. And he's just he's just pacing. Pacing, pacing, and then he gets gets back. Go eat. Go to the gym. Work out in the gym. And when he's when he hits, he hits the thing for like thirty minutes. Boom, just doing like this. And I, I, and his stamina and his development and it over time is something he's developed in. And what's crazy is that he's mastered the basics. One of the things that. Uh, another boxer that, and I don't want to beat him up just in case he watches this, but Deontay Wilder, one of the things, he, he's a one-trick pony, people say, with his right hand, he's able to knock people out. And so he's able to just knock people out with his right hand. But he lost recently to Tyson Fury. And the key to the loss, everybody said, was his lack of strength in the fundamentals. So many of us lose in life because we're not walking in the fundamentals. That we're not training for righteousness. We're not training our lives in godliness. So what do you need to, what, it's, 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 so but what's interesting about Gymnasio is they would, the Olympic athletes would take off everything so that they didn't have anything. They would run naked and they would work out naked. It's a little weird, I know, but that was their society. And they would take off everything to maximize their ability to not have anything inhibiting them maximizing their training and when they're actually in the game of the sport. What on your life do you need to take off to maximize being spiritually disciplined? So what are the spiritual disciplines? They'll put this up here. What, what are the spiritual disciplines? The spiritual disciplines are those practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are the habits of devotion 
and experiential Christianity that have been practiced by people, by the people of God since biblical times. The disciplines could be described in several ways. I got that from uh, Donald S. Whitney's book, Spiritual Disciplines. Very, very good book, by the way. I recommend it highly. When we talk about spiritual disciplines, there are two levels he talks about of spiritual disciplines. There are personal disciplines and there are interpersonal disciplines. If you're going to train yourself for godliness, these are some things that you're going to have to practically walk out in your life. Right. And I've added some actually. I've added a few because I think because I wrote a book called Unleash. You may want to look at it. And in that book, I talk about how sanctification works, how spiritual growth works when connecting to the spiritual disciplines. Right. Spiritual disciplines don't grow you in and of themselves. This is how sanctification works. It, sanctification is like digestion. Right. See, sanctification is this. You connect yourself to the means of nutrition. God does the digesting for you. Let me explain that. So when you eat something, you you mindfully chew. But God has created your body to where when you eat, it, it automatically goes down and it goes into your stomach and it starts to pull the nutrition out of it. That's what God does in your spiritual life. You connect to the spiritual disciplines so that God in your spiritual, the whole, God, the spirit, that's why he leads you in the truth. He grows you spiritually. He's the one that's effectively and effectually working in your life spiritually. What he does is when you do these spiritual disciplines, he pulls the nutrients out of them and put them into your body. Your spiritual body. What are the spiritual disciplines? Bible intake, James 121. They're going to put all of these up on here. Prayer, Ephesians 6, 18. Worship, Isaiah 61, 3. And Psalm 96, 9. Evangelism. Did you know that was a spiritual discipline? <laughs> Evangelism. Ephesians 6, 19. Stewardship, Luke 16. Fasting, Matthew, 9, Matthew 4, rather. Meditation, Psalm 1. Application, Ezra 7, 10. All of these are spiritual disciplines taken in the Bible. Prayer, worship, evangelism, stewardship, fasting, meditation, application. Now, there's some overlap here. But I will also say a spiritual discipline, I may be getting ahead of myself, is suffering. <laughs> but I'll talk about that in a second. I'm almost done. I'll be out your way. Interpersonal disciplines. Now, some people, now, a lot of people, this is what the challenge is with a lot of us. We tend to, you got to really listen to this. We tend to view our personal disciplines as enough. But your disciplines are not ever merely individualistic. So you have to have you have to have the other disciplines in your life that 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 are interpersonal disciplines, because no because you can do the personal disciplines and grow to a certain extent. But there's but so much growth you're going to do because God meant for spiritual maturity to happen within the context of community. So when you're looking at con when you're looking at that's what the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What partnership does light have with darkness? Now, let's flip that. We, when we fellowship with one another, we have partnership and fellowship with light, right? So interpersonal differences, di uh, discipline, church gatherings, going to church, gathering with the church. You can say what you want to say. You can say what you want to say, but that's a discipline. That's why Hebrews 10, 25 says it. The one another is all throughout the New Testament. They're, 
There are 1,050 of them. There are 613 laws of Moses. There are 1,050 laws of Christ. There are more laws of Christ than laws of Moses. Yet, in the law of Moses, you weren't empowered to keep those in Christ through the gospel. You are. <laughs> Edification is a spiritual discipline. Edification, right? Edification is helping others to grow. Edification isn't of itself. It's really a result of the interpersonal discipline, like, like fellowship and serving. Employ your gifts in serving one another, Timothy, uh, Paul, I mean, Peter says. Fellowship, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, right? The Lord's Supper is a spiritual discipline. Did you know that? Do you know taking the body and blood of Jesus Christ is a spiritual discipline? How do I know that? Because in 1 Corinthians 11, if you don't take it rightly, you die or you get sick. There's a seriousness to it. Why? It says, make sure that you take it in a worthy manner. That means there's meditative faculties in the effects of, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not Catholic, so I don't believe in transubstantiation, right? But I do, which means it literally becomes body and blood. But I do believe in something happens that God joins us at the communion table and we are feasting with him, even though Jesus is fasting from it. I don't know. I don't even know all of what happens, but there's something serious enough to happen that God takes it as holy ground to the point that if you don't take it in a worthy manner, you can get sick or die. Something's happening. Um, and not only that, <laughs> making and submitting to discipleship, making disciples and submitting to discipleship is a spiritual discipline. <laughs> Being discipled is a spiritual discipline. Submitting to discipleship. Is a spiritual discipline family. And so Paul, he, he basically told Timothy, he said, focus your energy on this stuff. Like, this is stuff you need to be focusing your energy on. And then he talks about the fact, this is what's dope about it. I hope y'all still with me. Because he says, train yourself for godliness. Now, a lot of times, I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm going to break this down. Godliness can seem like kind of like one of those abstract terms. Like when you say a person's godly, like what do we really mean by that, right? What does the Bible mean by that? So when you, when you look at the idea of godliness, godliness is conformity to the image of Christ. In other words, godliness is sanctification, the, the, is, is, the, is the result of sanctification, right? What is sanctification? They're going to put all this stuff up here. Whenever I get a definition, I want y'all to make sure y'all put it up here. That, 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 I, that I'm defining something like a word or something. Sanctification is the process of growing in practical holiness. There is positional holiness and there's practical holiness. See the verses there? I want to break this down in this last point even more. So lastly, you must build an environment of hope in your life. If Listen, let me just tell you like this. You are going to, as a believer, because we live in a fallen world, there is constantly going to be dysfunction. Because there's constantly going to be dysfunction, you have to be the agent of hope where you are. So in being the agent of hope, you have to be healthy. You got to be. So, so, so look, look at verse eight. It says, for the training of the body has limited benefit. Is he talking about not eating right, not working out? That's not what he's talking about. It's pointing back up to the earlier part of chapter four where they were talking about asceticism, which they believe they're eating certain, not eating certain things and withdrawing from certain things of the, the body will give you spiritual strength. That's what that is about. It's about self-denial that gives spiritual strength that's not Christ-centered. 
So that's what he's talking about here, not just general working out, right? It says, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds a promise for the present life and the life to come. This is beautiful because godliness again, what is it? What is godliness? It's conformity to the image of Christ. What is it? Practical commitment to the word of God. This is done by faith and application of the faith. And finally, being transformed by God as you practice truth. So he says it holds a promise. Promise is a reward. Promise is a reward. Where do we find our ability to apply promises? Well, one of my favorite verses in the entire universe is 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says, for every one of the promises of God's promises is yes in him. Therefore, through him, we also say amen to the glory of God. Now it is God who strengthens us together with you in Christ and who has anointed us. So all of the promises of God are yes in Jesus, right? So therefore, what promises do can we see? He said promises for the present life and for the life to come. What's a practical promise for this life? In suffering, you get earthly, you get earthly reward. In suffering, you get heavenly reward. Did you know suffering was a spiritual discipline? It takes discipline to not lose your mind in difficulty. So what did Jesus say in Romans uh, chapter five, verse three? He says, and do not only do do uh, and not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces ca- proven character. Proven character produces hope. This hope will not be will disappoint us because God's love has been poured out on us, out in our uh, uh, out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has who has who has give, who was given to us. So when you look at this verse, it shows you that your afflictions lead to different things, right? Not only that, um, it also, Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, verse 10, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is in heaven for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you see earthly rewards, eternal rewards. You see both on both hands as a result of that. There are more promises that both have promises that are practiced and laid out here and that are others laid out. I don't have time to go over them. He said, this is this trustworthy. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. Look at verse 10 and I'm done. He said, for this we labor and strive. Because we have put our hope in the living God. What does he, what does he labor and strive for? He labors, he labors and he strives for the promises that only God can give. Not promises that people can give and the results of sanctification. That's why he said we labor and strive for that to be in myself and for others. I want everything around me healthy. Like I, 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 you know, I, I remember Dame Dash said, I want everybody, all my friends rich. I want all my friends healthy. I want them all healthy. I'm going to do it. David put it like this. He said, because if all of us rich, if one of us get on hard times, you can, you can, we can all pool our money and make you rich again. Well, that's the same way sanctification works spiritually. Listen, if one of us get unhealthy and all the rest of us healthy, when one of us gets unhealthy, all of us pool our health and, and invest in you to be healthy. And then another one pulls it. If they go wrong with you, da, 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 da. That's how that thing works. And I strive for everybody around me to be healthy. He says, this is why I toil, this is why I labor. The word strive here is agonize. Where we get our word agony from. 
Agonize means to struggle and to strive. Fighting with weapons as an athlete, it will be. He said, we put our hope in God. He's the savior of all people, especially those who believe. This is not universalism. Rather, it is saying Jesus is the savior of all, all who believe. Further, all people pictures transnational scope of gospel. So it's basically saying he's the savior of all people, all people groups, right? So in every nation, there will be representation, Revelation 7. Let me close this out. You know, one of the things that um, my mom used to always tell me is when the water will go bad in our neighborhood or wherever, she said, you ever catch yourself out there and you need to catch water and you need to, the way it's, it'll have toxins and you can't just drink it. So if you ever go to another country, you can't just drink it. So what do you do, mom? She says, you got to heat it up. She said, once you boil the water, it'll, it'll boil the toxins out of it, destroy the toxins, and you'll be able to drink it. Listen, sometimes God will heat your life up to get the toxins out. Some of y'all lives are heating up is because God's trying to get the dysfunction out of your life. And the only way to get it out, you can't attack God and other people who are trying to help you. You got to be like, yo, I got to make sure I submit to God's process of getting me healthy. So God, what toxins are in my life? What dysfunction is in my life that you got to get out? And ultimately, Jesus got heated up on the cross for our sins to remove all of the toxins from out of our lives. The blood of Jesus does it, family. And so... I want you to be, I really want you in life groups this week and in your relationships this week to ask people around you. I want you to ask yourself, ask people, ask people around you, say, can you, can you name maybe three areas in my life that you can see that's unhealthy? Can you help me to, it's three things in my life that's unhealthy. And can you help me to develop a battle strategy to attack it? I want you to begin to, I want you to grab my book Unleashed. I want you to go through it. I also want you to grab uh, Whitney S. Donald's book on uh, the spiritual disciplines. And I want you to spend the rest of the fall, I want you to go the autumn, going through it, going through those and utilizing those to, to, to firm up the basics in your life. Firm up the basics. And some of y'all have never really developed in the basics. Begin developing, not just in the basic doctrines, but the basic disciplines. And as you grow and as you develop, Let's get on a plan, y'all, to, to get healthy and make that a part of our lifestyle. Make those things a part of our lifestyle. Let's go, I'm going to go back up to them, throw them on the screen. I want us to make the personal disciplines. Just put them all up there together. Put on one side personal disciplines, put on the other side if you can, uh, in the personal disciplines. All of these on this side and on this side of the screen, on both sides. I want you to begin. I want you to screenshot it. I want you to take pictures of it. I want us to begin to say, how do I begin to invest these things in our life? Because listen. When, I, when, when, when many people fall into bad things and bad traps, they, they begin saying, I was leading on empty. And in leading on empty, I didn't have the spiritual nutrients to deal with the level of things that I was dealing with and I fell away. Let's, let's be healthy, y'all. Father, we thank you and bless you. For your word, help us to be healthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, we celebrate the Lord's death every week. And in light of that, on the night that Jesus was betrayed um, and he took the bread and he gave it to his disciples, said, this is my body, which is given for you. Let's eat together. After everything was over, he took the cup. After he ate the meal, Passover, he took the cup and said, this is my blood, blood of the new and everlasting covenant. This was the covenant that was prophesied, y'all, the eternal covenant, the fulfillment of all covenants, which was shared for you and for many. 
in me for the remission of sins. Let's drink together. If you want to place your confidence in Jesus, we're here for you. Comment down below. And whether I don't know which stream you're on, whether you're on YouTube, whether you're on Facebook, whether you're on Venmo, or Vimeo rather, whichever one you're on, man, we want to hear from you. Just drop us a line, drop us a comment. Make sure you press that like button. Um, drop us a line in the comments. We want to know how things are going, how these messages are impacting you, how life is going for you. So reach out, hit us up in these comments. Hit us up in these comments. God bless you. Love you. If you want to trust Jesus, put your confidence in Jesus. Let us know we want to reach out to you. God bless you. Take care. See you next time. Lord, say the same. Peace. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.